Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast with our senior pastor, Ben Martinez. Don't forget to check out our website at calvarychapellubbock.church. There you'll find a lot more about our mission to love God, love people, and live radically. Now here's Pastor Ben. Hey, two old friends met each other on the street one day, and one looked sad and almost on the verge of tears. His friend comes up to him like you would and said, Hey, um, what happened, old friend? Are you, are you okay? And the sad fellow said, Let me tell you, three weeks ago, my uncle died and left me $40,000. That's a lot of money, said his friend. But you see, the sad man continued, Two weeks ago, a cousin I never knew died and left me $85,000 free and clear. The friend replied, "Uh, Brother, that sounds like you're very blessed. I don't know why you're sad. Oh, you don't understand, the sad fellow interrupted. Last week, my great aunt passed away and I inherited almost a quarter of a million from her. The friend was really confused and said, Um, and why are you so sad? Why are you so sad? He goes, This week I didn't get anything. (laughs) This morning, I'd like to talk to you about contentment. Contentment. You see, that's what Paul wants to teach us about being content in life. But in order to understand what Paul was wanting to communicate with us, we really have to stop for just a moment and think about what it means to be content. Think about that. Put on your thinking caps this morning. What does it mean to be content? Well, I know what you're thinking. How about we just go to the dictionary and find out what Mr. Webster says about it? And that's a good point. Let's see what Mr. Webster says. Mr. Webster says this. This is what contentment means. You ready? A state of happiness and satisfaction. A state of happiness and and satisfaction. Well, that's easy. That's easy, right? Every one of you this morning um, should be in a state of happiness and satisfaction. Now we can all go home. Paul says to be content. You're all happy. You go, Ben, (laughs) Um, you're silly. (laughs) Well, I am because I have a problem with what Mr. Webster said. Well, what, what, what do you mean? Well, the problem I have with this is something called life something called life. It's what you and I go through each and every day. Oh, yes, we all wake up and we would sure love to be in a state of happiness and a state of satisfaction. And can you imagine? Can you imagine waking up in the morning? Oh, joy, what a wonderful day. And you're just singing. You know what? Let's be honest. Let's be honest. My wife is amazing in the morning. Don't ask me why, but she's like, good morning. And if I hadn't made it to the coffee, I'm like... I don't know why. I don't know why. Who made up good morning anyway before coffee? I mean, come on. But once you have your coffee, it's like, oh, how you doing? Good. And But let's dig a little bit deeper. The Bible, the Word of God, it teaches us, you and I, the importance of contentment in the lives of the full of those who are fully devoted followers of God. It teaches us that we should be content. 
Like Paul's example in what we're about to learn this morning. Pastor, what do you mean? Paul, under the power of the Holy Spirit, teaches us that we, you ready, should be content in every circumstance in our lives. Contentment. However, if you don't understand the biblical text on contentment, I have a feeling if we don't understand it, then we veer off just a little bit the path that actually produces joy and contentment. You see, we're, we're, we're want to follow what God teaches us, and if we don't grasp it, we end up over here, and somebody says, hey, are you happy? Are you content? Is life good? And you go, uh, uh, I don't know, right? Uh, well, what's the matter? Uh, well, do you love Jesus? I love Jesus. And we veer off what God is really calling us to do. Now, come on, don't look at me that way. This happens to me. I know it happens to you. I have to understand the biblical text. Well, you go, well, what, what is the biblical text? When it comes to contentment, we must grasp that, oh, here it goes, ready? We cannot control everything. There, I said it. That's what we like to do, church. We want to be in control of everything. We don't have any control. We really don't. Solomon reminds this in the book of Solomon. He writes in Ecclesiastes 8.8, reading from the New Living, so you get the idea. He says, none of us can hold back our spirit from departing. None of us has the power to prevent the day of our death. There is no escaping that obligation, that dark battle. In the face of death, wickedness will certainly not rescue the wicked. What does he say? He goes, guys, we don't, we don't have that power to do that. We don't have the power to say, oh, I'm not going to die today. I'm not going to do it. I'm out. No, you're going to... No, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. I'm in control. I'm in control. Do I have any fearful flyers in here? Anybody fearful on flying a plane in a plane? No, one. One, okay, only one, two. You, I used to get the weirdest anxiety to get on a plane. I really did. I'm over it now, thank you, I've been healed and delivered. But I used to be so stressed out to get on a plane. You don't understand, that produced the weirdest anxiety for me to fly, I don't know why. And so I would get on, I would think, oh, I've got to go, I've got to go, they're, they're sending me to work, and I've got to get on a plane, and I know what I'll do, I know what I'll do, I'll stay up all night so that I can fall asleep on the plane, I'll be so tired, I'll just fall asleep on the plane, even though it was only an hour and a half flight, I just fall asleep. And then I thought, but what if the plane crashes and I'm too tired to help people? Oh, what do I do? And so I'd sit there and be... And then one day, I went to this uh, school with non-believers, and they're sitting there eating the peanuts, having a good time, and I'm like this. Like, like that little seatbelt's going to save you. You know what I'm talking about? Buckle your seatbelt. Listen, if this thing goes down, I'm done. This little thing is not going to save me. But there I am. And God knocked on my heart and he said, hey, they don't even know me. And they're just... And I went, you know what, Lord? I know you. Huh. Wow. 
So I can't control. How many of you ever want to control the play? I want to control the play. Why, why is it bumpy? Why, why, why is it bumpy? Stop, stop it being bumpy. Now you guys think I'm silly. But contentment is that we can't control everything. I, I believe that's why Jesus told us in Matthew 6.34, so don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Come on now. Look, how many of us worry about tomorrow? You go, yeah. Yeah, all of you have already thought about this coming week. What you have to do, what has to get done, this and this and this and this and this. And the Word of God says, he's saying, don't worry. You've got enough worries. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Yeah, but you don't understand. And that's, my friends, is called the gift of worry. And some of you have that gift. But if you have the gift of worry, I'm giving you permission to re-gift that gift. <laughs> Give it to a non-believer. Let them worry. Here you go. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. So what are we going to learn? What are we going to learn? Let me jot this down for you real quick. Contentment is, you want to know what contentment is? You ready? Submitting our lives to the will of God. Submitting our lives. Coming and saying, Lord, this is my life. Do whatever. I, I, I'm going to submit to your will. I can't control the outcome. I can't control people. I can't control what's going on in the world. I can't control the war in the world. I can't. My life is yours. What you need to understand is we've got a great God who's holding your life in his hands. He's holding and he's directing and it's for your good, not anybody else's. It's your good. You see, sometimes we put on our brain, oh, 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 well, well, God's kind of controlling my life. Why am I going through all of this stuff? No, God's got his, he's got his best for you right now. Secondly, we need to, oh, here comes Ready Church, patiently dealing with circumstances beyond our control. Patiently dealing with that. That is contentment. Okay. What happened to you today? Oh. Let me ask you a question. You don't have to answer out loud. You don't have to raise your hand, but if you were in a hurry to go to work or go somewhere and you walked out and your car tire was flat, would that just throw you in a spin? Would that just be like, oh, I knew it, it's Monday and I have to be at work at this important meeting, I got this tire flat. It throws us, doesn't it? But what God says is, let's patiently deal with, what do you, well, it was that dirty, stinking devil, that devil flattened my tire. No, you ran over a nail. You were busy on your phone. <laughs> Come on now. Just me? <laughs> Thank you. So, so we just, there are things that are not in our control. There are things that are not in our control. And so we just want to deal with them patiently. 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 Contentment is this. Ready? Graciously accepting whatever blessing God has for us. You know where we're not content? It's when we look at another brother and go, man, I wish I had that Ben's hat right there. Why does he get it? Well, Ben, he gave you a hat. No, but it's not that one. Now, it's silly to talk about a Ben's hat, but we use that Ben's hat metaphorically for, oh, why does he have a big house? Why does he have that car? Why does he get this? Why does he get that? 
Discontentment comes when I start looking at everybody and not looking at the blessings that I have. Let me show you discontentment in the ministry. You ready? Discontentment in the ministry is to blur my eyes to all you beautiful people and wonder why there's chairs that are empty. Well, I wonder why four chairs are empty. We should have all filled. I don't understand. There's some on this side. And that brings discontentment. God, what are you doing? No, no, no. Here's what God says. Here's contentment. Feed the people in front of you. Don't worry about the empty ones. That's easy for you to amen. <laughs> You're not up here. It's the amen. Yeah, I'm like, Lord, don't you see what I have to put up with? Graciously accepting whatever blessings God has for you. Just going, thank you, Lord. Thank you for my blessings. Thank you for my blessings. Thank you. How about this? You ready? And I think it's today in particular. Willing to accept whatever consequence for doing what is right. For doing what is right. You see, sometimes you're going to do what is right, and the consequences might not be blessing. It might be something else. And you go, okay. I still know that what I did was right. I'm trusting you, Lord. I'm trusting you. Yeah, pastor, but... You ready? This is going to step on my toes, and your toes too. Yeah, Lord, but, but what about... If I could just have a little more. Let me give you a contentment myth. It's from Charles Spurgeon, not me. Blame him, don't blame me. Here's what he said. You say, if I had a little more, I should be very satisfied. You make a mistake. If you're not content with what you have, you'll not be satisfied if it were doubled. Unquote. Isn't that true? Way to go, Pastor Chuck. Why? Because he said, listen, if you're not content with what you have now, what makes you think double of what you have? Oh, that just got my heart right here. You say, how so? Lord, I'm not content. I want more people. Be content with what you have, Ben, because if you had double, what makes you think you'd be satisfied? Oh, oh, never mind. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. That's a myth, guys. I want you to take a moment as a fully devoted follower of Jesus to take a second and go, Lord, am I content with what I have? My house, my car, my food, my friends? Am I content? Like I could live the rest of my life with just, yes. That's where we need to be. When you look at our text, I've entitled this message, The Secret of Contentment. But quite honestly, there really is no secret. Paul's not like, ooh, let's all get in a, let's get in a circle and we'll just tell you the little secret. That's not what he says, guys. But he says, Paul explains it very carefully and he says, there's no secret. Let me explain it. And then he says, and then by the way, I'm going to offer my final benediction. But by way of reminder, we need to go back. So you've got a good run and go of what we're talking about. Last week, we only covered two verses. Two verses. Yeah. It was really thought provoking as we talked about joy in our thought life. Hey, can I ask you a question? How did it go? You see, last week we talked about the things we think about, the things we really continue to think about is what we really become. How'd that work out for you? Oh, I forgot. Oh, I dwelt on. Paul, last week, encourages us, do you remember, to get rid of stinking thinking. Anybody knows what stinking thinking is? He says, get rid of it. Meditate on the eight. 
meditate. Okay, it's real easy. Get rid of stinking thinking and meditate on the eight. What were the eight? What were the eight? Well, first, before we decide what were the eight were, and we look at them in verses eight and nine, remember, we all live in a world between our ears. What do you mean? Our quality of life, our joy of life, our contentment in life depends on the way we manage our thoughts. As a man thinketh, so he is. As a man thinketh, so he is. So what do we do? Last week, we spent the entire time looking at our thought life. And remember, we didn't preach the power of positive thinking, but Paul preached that there's joy in having a a godly thought life. Let me go over it really quick so you get a good feel of the whole chapter. In verse 8, Paul writes, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, Whatever things are pure, whatever things, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good rapport, if there are any virtue, if there are anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you've learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. A simple way to say this is how you have joy in life, in every circumstance, every decision, every question, right or wrong, is to meditate on these. The word meditate means to think logically. To think logically. But let me give you an example of what we should do. Let's say a friend of yours, maybe an unbeliever, maybe not, invites you to a movie that is R-rated. And R-rated said there's a bunch of language, there's a bunch of F-bombs, there's a bunch of nudity, but come on, let's go to this movie. Now, a good way to keep your life godly and holy is to simply run what Paul is teaching against the movie. For example, you would go, okay, let me see if I run this. Is the movie true? Well, no. Hollywood is just, okay. Is the movie noble? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Does it give a good report? Is there any, is the movie praiseworthy? You're like, now, I can see the wheels turning in your mind. All of you, I can see them. (laughs) Pastor Ben said I couldn't go to the movies. That church at Calvary Chapel is so legalistic, he said I couldn't go to the movies. I can't see R-rated movies. No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. Here's what I'm saying. You're free in Jesus to go to any movie and attend any event you want. You're free. But if this event, this movie, causes you to backslide, causes you to stumble, in your walk with God, then I believe both you and me, for our own good, for our own walks with God, we have to decide not to go down that path. Honestly. Listen, here's what you need to realize. You ready? Look at me. This is important. We need to realize that the enemy of your soul will do whatever it takes. Will do whatever it takes to rob you of your joy in life. He will do whatever. Everybody say whatever. Whatever. Why is that important? Because he'll do whatever. 
And so now, man, here you are, and you're walking close with God, you're getting close with God, you're reading His Word, you're having your devotion, you're praying, you're praying with your wife, you're just having, you're just, man, you're just in great fellowship with God, and the enemy's going to come in and do whatever. And how does he do it? He does it through social media. You guys know this. It's always the, it's always the case. How do you feel when you look, women, how do you feel when you look, or guys, I guess, at a Pinterest thing that's so perfect, and then you try to do it, and you butcher it all over the place. Well, I mean, you understand. How do you look at some person on the internet that has taken 36,000 selfies to get the right one, to look the right way, and you're just like, huh? You understand, that's what they do in, that's what, that's what they do in the magazines. We pick up these magazines, and we go, man, I want to look like this. And yet, you realize that it's, it's cut, it's cropped, it's all this. That's not what they really look like. You understand that? The girl or the guy from the magazine does not look like that. And from social media and from all these things, they don't look like that. But it causes us to stumble because, again, you're thinking about this. It robs it. He'll do whatever it takes. Hey, how come you don't have this job? How come you don't have this one? How come you don't have this? How come? You... Oh, look, this is how they look. Oh, they have a great, happy marriage. Oh, look, marriage tips 501. And you're just like, oh, how come we don't? And it robs us because we're not jumping into the Word of God biblically. Movies do the same thing. Movies do the same thing. If you go to a movie and it's an R-rated movie and it has all these F-bombs and then you become numb to that, that's, you know, you're just like, well, if you see nudity and all this stuff, I mean, it just robs you of that joy. Or YouTube. Here's one, and I know none of you do it, but it's those romance novels that women read. And, and the Lord spoke to me this morning about the romance novels and I thought, Lord, are there, do affairs happen? from women who read these, because here's what, here's what the internet said. Now, again, take it with a grain of salt, but I'm over here. I'm away from the poet. Here's what the internet said. It said, men are visual, so they, they look at things they shouldn't look at in the computer. It'll pull them away. But women aren't visual, they're thinkers. And so they read how this guy with the long flowing hair and the shirt open goes to them and says, Darling, come with me. And they're like, oh. And they love that. And, that, and then, and then they, they look at their husband. He's like this. Uh, what? And they're like, man, where's that guy? Where's, you know, where's the Rico Suave that I read in the book? Anyway, here's the point. Here's the point. Guys, I think we need to be so careful. We need to run what Paul says through that list and really just absorb it and say, Lord, is this real? And the first thing he says is, what you see, is this really true? Is this really true? Is this the truth? No, it's not because the enemy is the father of lies and he wants to deceive me. Okay, okay, I got it, I got it. I got it. What you and I think, we talked about last week, that we will do. It's going to come out. Another way of putting it, you ready? You can't separate the outward action with the inward attitude. You can't separate them. So as a man thinks, that is what he becomes. That is what he becomes. And then Paul goes on and he says, and the things which you've learned and received and heard and saw in me, he says, just do them. 
Just do them. I think before Nike, Paul coined the phrase, just do it. Just do it. This is what he's saying. And the God of peace will be with you. He says, do these things. And I'm telling you, do these things. Take control of your thought life today. Focus on the eight things and put them into practice. He says, do these things. And that's where we left it off last week. And so now we come to our text this week, and we're going to discover the secret of contentment. Now, if you're taking note, there is no real secret, but Paul's going to give us a couple or three helps to find true contentment. You ready? Jot this down. Number one, you're going to see God's provision. God's provision in your life. Jehovah Jireh, he's my provider. That's the first one. Number two, you're going to see God's power. God's power. The God's power in your life. And then third, you're going to see God's promise. I know you go, Ben, those are, those are all P words. They're commonplace. They're cliche. No, no, no. When we look at them, you're going to really grasp and then apply them to your life. So we're going to pick it up in verse 10. Paul writes, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Now, your attention, please. Paul's whole, his, Paul's whole letter is in this verse. This was the whole purpose of his writing. He says, he says, listen, I wrote four chapters to really say this. You go, what was that? I want to thank the Philippian church for their generous support. Their generous support. Have you ever went to write a letter and it was just going to be a memo and you end up writing five or six pages? No, none of you? That's what Paul did. Paul wanted to just go, man, you guys bless me. But he ended up talking about it. And, and there was Iudia last, two weeks ago and Sintiki and all this stuff. But Paul's gratitude to this church also gives way to the praise of God. We're going to see that in verse 20, but let's unpack it. First and foremost, look at, God, look at the godly providence right here. He says, oh, can you imagine, Paul? Oh, how I praise the Lord that you were concerned about me again. You know, you've always been concerned for me, but you really didn't have a chance to help me. Understand that Paul in prison, it was like when someone goes, I don't know if you know this, but when someone goes to jail or prison today, you have to put money in his account so he can buy toothpaste and he can buy, you have to keep putting stuff in like that. Now, in the jails, I'm not sure how that works, but there's an administrative fee so he doesn't get all that. In the same way, the support that came from Paul was so that he could have certain things in prison. Like he wasn't put in the main area of just all, he had like the support goes, okay, Paul, if you pay this amount, you can be in this house. You're still in prison, but you can be in this house and you can have certain foods and you can do that sort of thing. So Paul's going, guys, thank you. Thank you so much. He goes, man, I'm, I'm just, I thank God. But Paul realizes that his life is not controlled by circumstances, nor is he a victim of them. Paul learned to be content in all things, knowing, hey, this wonderful church wanted to support Paul. He says, but you guys lacked opportunity. Okay, well, let's break it down just a little bit more, because notice again in verse 10, but I rejoiced greatly in the, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that your last care, notice that word, some of you might have concern. The Greek word, the Greek rendering of that is it shows the Philippians showed their concern by Paul. How? By sending Epaphrodites to care for him while he was still in prison. Now, I want you to think about this. 
Through this support sent from the Philippians, Paul was able to pay rent for the home he was staying in for two years. Without this gift, he would have not been able to stay there, nor would he have had the freedom to preach the gospel as he did. Acts chapter 28, 30, and 31. So the gift, this support, man, this meant a lot to Paul. It wasn't just like, man, I didn't get toothpaste because you guys didn't send me any money. I didn't get a chance to, I didn't get a new toothbrush. I haven't had a toothbrush in two years. He goes, your financial support? Listen, the gospel flourished because of it. The gospel flourished. And God in his beautiful wisdom does the same thing today, doesn't he? Your giving, your giving, it gets the gospel out. It gets the gospel out. You see, sometimes we go, oh, tithe, that's my money. Or No, 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 listen, when we give, we give unto the Lord and we say, Lord, bless it, use it. And all of a sudden, this little church is on 72 radio stations across the United States, and it's because of your financial giving, it's because of your prayer and your faithfulness, and you and I have no clue who we're touching out there. You see, it's not a Ben thing. Well, you're the pastors. It's all of us in this collectively, giving and praying and saying, God, do something. And the word of God goes out. And then you have someone there, this lonely person who's hearing the gospel, connects with this little church and goes, I'm going to give my life to Jesus. And one day you and I are going to walk in heaven. Somebody's going to come up to you and go, hey, where'd you go to church? (laughs) Why? What have you heard? No, they'd be like, I went to Calvary Chapel, Lubbock. Calvary Chapel, really? And look, wow, you know what? I heard heard a teaching on the radio. And God spoke to me, and I'm here because of that. (laughs) And you're going, I didn't do anything. No, 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 your faithfulness in support. This is what Paul's saying. The gospel is being flourished to do his work. And again, notice, they had a heart to help, but they, at that point, were lacking resources. But let's think about this. Listen, in the church today, guys, we have the resources. I think sometimes we lack the heart. It's, it's reversed. They were like, oh, man, we need to give. I just, oh, we need to give. If I'm being honest with you and you don't mind being stepped on at church, sometimes when it comes to giving, we we want it all for us. And we don't realize the impact that we can make. And here's the lie the devil tells us. Well, somebody else will give. Somebody else will give. Don't worry about it. you got some wealthy people in that church. Somebody else will give. But if everybody gives and says, Lord, I trust you. I trust you. Watch what he'll do. Watch what he'll do. Overall, we see that God can apply, that, or we can apply that God was Paul's provider. He says, I'm not, I'm not complaining. I'm just telling you guys. And here's what we need to do. He is... For us, our Jehovah Jireh, he's your provider. He's your provider. 
See, I know what you're thinking because I used to think that the same way. You think your job is your provider. He's not. It's not. You know who your provider is? God. God's your provider. And some of you might be here going, I lost my provider. No, you didn't. You lost your job. God's going to provide for you. He said in his word, I have never seen the righteous forsaken. I've never seen that. God's going to take care of us. But if we're being honest, we have a hard time believing that. We have a hard time believing that. And we put a lot of trust in ourselves and our abilities. And, but it, at the end of the day, it's God. It's God who provides for us. What's the secret to contentment? You ready? The secret, if you will, is trusting in God's providence for your lives. We must understand that God is in control. And while you and I can't fully understand the depths of God's ways, we can still affirm that he's in control. Romans chapter 11, verse 36. For of him, through him, and to him are all things. To whom be the glory forever. Amen. What is Paul saying in the book of Romans right here to you and I? God's in control. He's going to take care of you. He's going to take care of you. Is he not going to take care of you whether you make 100000 or you make 20000 Is he not going to take care of you? Could not God take that 20000 and make it feel like 100000 Absolutely, God can do that. Can God bless you? Absolutely. You don't understand. When we planted this church, there was only a handful of us, and I couldn't get a good full-time paying job. Not a good one. Because here in our city, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And I didn't know anybody. I'm coming in going, hey, I'm starting a church. They're like, good for you. See ya. And we went through a time financially where it's like, uh, uh, I'm working, trying to plant the church, teaching two Bible studies, and we didn't have any money. And when the people would go to collect on a Sunday morning, whether we had 5, 10, 15, 20 people, there'd be an envelope that said, for pastor only. And it'd be enough to buy groceries that week. And we see God just do. And, and listen, if there was ever a time to quit, that would have been it. God, I, I didn't hear you right. I didn't hear you right. We, we, don't, we're, we don't have any money. We don't, we don't, we're, we're. And God faithfully, 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 He's in control. And to me, there were many things in which I don't know the reason. How many of you ever said, God, why? Why? We want to know the reason. And he doesn't tell us. But we do know this. We know for everything, we know he's ordained them. We know God is in control. Everything in your life. It was Obadiah Sedgwick, and he wrote this quote, No one is fit to govern the world as he who made it. His perfect wisdom, holiness, justice, power, love, and goodness will not fail, end quote. I thought that was a great quote. Who's better to be in control than the one who created all of this? No, Pastor, that's easier said than done. Only if you have the wrong perspective. Only if you have the wrong perspective. If you have the right perspective, you go, God, you're in control of my life. I gave you my life. It's all yours. Do you think God's going up there going... Gabriel, come here. What do you think about Jeremiah? Yeah, we should let him suffer for a little bit. Yeah, I never liked that guy anyway. I know. Yeah, let's let him starve for a bit. Then he'll know who God is. That's not God at all. God says, you gave your life to me, I got you, buddy. 
I got you. I got you. Yeah, Pastor, but I've been eating ramen noodles in college for four years. But you ate, didn't you? (laughs) Because there are people who, around the world, live on $2 a day. So we need to be content by going, God, thank you for ramen noodles. Thank you for Vienna sausages. No, I'm kidding. Don't. That's. You're like, but I like them. Okay, never mind. I'm not going there. I'm not going there. So we know that the secret of contentment is found in what? In God's providence, but it's also found in the power of God. Notice verse 11 with me, guys. Paul writing, Not that I speak regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Ready? Verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Everybody, let's read it together. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you've done well that you shared in my distress. Okay. Godly power that helps us be content. How so? Well, Paul doesn't hide this secret, but we have to understand the context. Paul is quick to let his friends know, I'm not complaining. I have no complaints. My happiness doesn't depend on circumstances or things. But he says something very interesting that should jump out of the page. He says, but what I've learned, what I've learned. Why? Because good, godly contentment is something we have to learn. It's not automatic. You know, oh, what happened? Oh, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me. I'm a sinner. Uh, What happened? You got saved and I'm content. (laughs) That's not us, is it? Because guess why? When you get saved, you come into God's kingdom with all kinds of baggage, 15 suitcases. All right, Lord, I'm here. What happened? I'm saved. What are you doing with all the baggage? Oh, no. I just brought it. I just brought it. And he goes, okay, now we have to unpack. Oh. And he begins to unpack the baggage. But we come in with baggage, so we're not content at all. And so eventually we get rid of the baggage. Eventually. And some of you still have an overnight bag you need to let go. Come on now. You know exactly what I'm talking about. That wasn't even in my notes. That was divine from God. We all let go of the baggage, but some of you are holding on to your little overnight bag. No, I want this. Let go of that because contentment comes when you go, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I need to learn this. I have to learn how to be content with whatever I have. Paul knows something. Paul knows something that you and I have to learn. What is it? He says, how to be content in whatever state we find ourselves in. Now, that doesn't mean Texas. I'm happy in Texas. No, he says, whatever state we're in. But let's be honest. Can we speak truth in church? Okay. We know how to be abased. What do you mean? Well, the word means to depress, humiliate, to bring low. It means difficulties. You and I, we know that. Amen. You're like, amen. And what do we do? We run to God, which I give you a great amen, because that's what you're supposed to do in difficulties. Run to God. Cry out to God. Fall on his mercy. Fall on his grace, Lord, please. And we're all good at that. We know how to be abased. 
The problem is, is that men, not many of us know how to abound. And the word abound means to be in excess, to have more than I need. Paul says, I know what it's like to have nothing. I know what it's like to eat ramen noodles. I know what it's like to um, sniff cardboard. I mean, I don't know, you know, just the donuts used to be in them, but they're not. So this all. He knows what it's like to be poor. He goes, but I also know what it's like to have more than enough. I know what it's like to go home and have men just, wow, wow. This is great. Look at this. We have red chili enchiladas. We have green chili enchiladas. We have beans. We have rice, tortillas, tacos. Oh, that's how Paul feels. And if you want any of those, I'm only charging $5 to come to my house and get those things. I know what it's like to. And I know what it's like. This is what he says. But when I started to read, I know what it's like to be abound. Okay. Don't be looking, don't be thinking about the enchiladas right now, okay? Get your mind back over here. Hello? I was thinking, my mind went to Revelation. Do you remember the church of Laodicea? You remember the church? In the church of Laodicea, Paul writes, I mean, sorry, John writes, so then, because of your lukewarm, you're neither hot, or you're neither cold nor hot, he says, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. And, and you would say, why? Everybody say, why? Because the church said this, I am rich, because you guys say, I am rich, I have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And he says, but don't you know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked? He says, we know how to be abased, but do you know how to abound? I think every one of us in this room, with the exception of maybe one or two, have thought at one time or another what it would be like to win the lottery. What it would be like to win the millions. Ah, What's the first thing we would do? Well, because I'm a believer, I take care of all my family and friends. Yes, I won $45 billion. I'll just take, every one of you gets a house. You get a house, you get a house, you get a house. It's going to be great. We all think about that. But what we don't think about is is really that much money? What would it do to my walk? What would it do to my, my relationship? What would it... No, I, I just want to be content with what I have. Because, because here's the thing. Paul says, this is what I've learned. And I started to look at that word. What did he learn? And, and some of your translations say instructed. This is what I've learned. The word instructed means to initiate into secret. The word is used by pagan religions with the reference to their inner secrets. You ready? Here's the secret to contentment. Through trial and testings, Paul was initiated into the wonderful secret of contentment in spite of poverty or prosperity. What did you just say? Here's the deal. Part of our growing in contentment in life is trial and testing. Part of your contentment is in trial and testing. Because it gets you to see that you should be happy with what you have. Well, I went to Calvary Chapel and then they said I shouldn't get, I shouldn't go for promotions and I shouldn't try. No, no, no. He's saying just be content. Look at the blessings. Do you remember that old song, Count Your Blessings? Just, just, Lord, thank you. I gotta be honest with you, church. I need to do more of what I'm preaching to me. To go home at night and count my blessings. Lord, thank you so much. 
I'm always stinking thinking about the negative and not focusing on the blessings. Hey, you want the power of God in your life? You want the power of God? Think on all the good things he's done. Think on all the blessings you have. Because, to be honest with you, none of us deserves any one of them, do do we? We don't deserve them. God blesses us. Were you able to eat this week? Yeah. Praise God. Hopefully every one of you showered this morning. Praise God. I showered last night. You know the point. You get the point. And then Paul gives us a secret. You ready? Verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Ooh, wait a minute. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to make sure, ready, that you don't take this out of context. Whenever you take one verse out of context, you make it a pretext, and then you can make it say whatever you want it to say. And this verse is the most popular verse in all the Christian Bible, in all the 66 books. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We have to keep it in context. Okay, we have to keep it in context. This is not a catch-all verse for anything we want or anything we'll try. You understand that? Paul, in the context, is reminding us that he gave thanks to the Philippian support. That he is not complaining, but reminding them of the power of God to provide. But when I think of Philippians 4, those these are printed on millions of keychains, t-shirts, cell phone cases, coffee mugs. You know, this is, this is that verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But you want to know something, guys? And I think it's important because we're a Bible teaching church. You need to know that this is one of the most misunderstood, misused, misinterpreted verses of all time. Many Christians will recite this when they need to draw a power from another place to defeat the enemy or or conquer a difficult task. Okay, I got a question. How many of you love this verse? You go, I do. Love it. Philippians 4.13. Go put on a t-shirt. Okay, here's what we're going to do. Abel, Jeremiah, you guys with me in this? Okay. You and I are going to go on the top of the building, and we're going to jump off. And we're going to fly. Why? Philippians 4.13. I can do all things to Christ who strengthens me. You win? You're like, no, why? Why are you not in? He goes first. <laughs> Nobody push anybody. I know how you guys are. <laughs> Gravity. Uh, we took this. And then and there's, poor, there's poor Jeremiah on the floor. Me and Abel are like, man, I don't think we should. Cal- I don't think we should. <laughs> you want to jump? No, that verse doesn't work for me today. Uh-uh. I'll tell you what verse we need to call 911. Because Jeremiah's on the ground there. That's exactly what's going to happen. You understand that. But we take that verse and we use it. And, and what happens, guys, is that in, through, through television and televangelists, we, we get all of this. You can do it. You can do it. You know what? You, you. Let me give you one example of what's being taught out there. And I would like for you to see if you know who this is. It's a mega church pastor. And I'm going to use, I'm not going to use his name. I'm going to give you a quote. This is what he says. Quote, 
Most people tend to magnify their limitations. They focus on their shortcomings. But Scripture makes it plain, all these things are possible to those who believe. That's right. It's possible to see your dreams fulfilled. It's possible to overcome that obstacle. It's possible to climb to new heights. It's possible to embrace your destiny. You may not know how it will take place. You may not have a plan. But all you have to know is that God said you can, and you can. Unquote. Paul isn't talking to us like that. It's not about supernatural power to conquer the world. He isn't talking about a name-it-and-claim-it approach to life. This verse is not intended to be a supernatural steroid shot to get your life on track again. He's saying, whether I'm abased, whether I have a lot or I have nothing, it doesn't matter. I am what? I can do all things. My focus is on God, so if I'm poor, I'm going to be happy and joyful because my focus is on God. How do you do that? Because you know that this life is not all there is. This life is not all there is. Remember, listen to me, pilgrim, you're just passing through. You're just passing through. So if you have, if you have minus six million in your bank account, praise God. If you're plus six million in your bank account, praise God. You're not trusting in that. Government can take it away from you in a, in a minute. You just, praise God. Well, how'd you get six million? Praise God, I don't know. I'm just, just giving it away. Giving it away. That's what he's telling us. So be careful we don't take this verse out of context and use it for, hey, I can jump off the building and fly. I can, you know, I think I'm going to go rock climbing and not use a harness because I can do all things through Christ. No. We go, I know what it's like. Come on, church. I know what it's like to be poor. I still praise God. I know what it's like to have food. Praise God. I know what it's like when my family and friends surround me and they love me, and I know what it's like to be lonely. I still praise God. So he's showing us how to be content, how to have joy. How? In God's providence, in God's power. And now let's finish up with God's promise. Okay? We're going to move pretty quick, so don't, don't close your Bibles yet. So Paul thanks the church at Philippi for their generous gift. Thank you, guys. And he compares it to, to their giving to three familiar things. In verse 10, look at your notes again, guys. He, he compares it to a growing budding tree. A growing budding tree. And so what happens is now the tree starting to grow, and he goes, yes, you guys provide just like that. And then in verse 14 through 17, he goes, let me... Let me um, um, compare this to uh, the mission investment. You go, the mission investment? Yeah. Paul looked on their missionary gift as an investment to pay them with rich spiritual dividends. In other words, when you give, you're going, man, it's, it's, for, it's for missionary work. It's for missionary work. And then in verse 18, he says, I want to compare it to sacrifice because he's going to say an acceptable sacrifice well-pleasing to the Lord. Look at verse 15 with me, guys, and, and this is Paul today, and he says, Now to you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, here's what he said, No church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. He's like, guys, thanks. He says, For even Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities, even there. He goes, But listen, not that I seek the gift, 
He says, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphrodites the things you sent, the things you, the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. He goes, and by the way, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Now, your attention, please. What you need to remember is this is not one of those things where, where the Philippian church says, hey, if we give to Paul five bucks, God's going to hundredfold back to me. Let's go. Okay, everybody, we're going to take a collection. And if you just sow a seed, that's not what Paul is saying. Have you ever heard that on TV? Just sow a seed. If you just sow a seed, $1,000, God's going to reap, you're going to reap 100000 He said, God's going to supply your need. Your need. Remember, it's singular. So he's not, he's not saying, God's going to supply all your wants and your extras and, and all your entertainment. Just give. Just give. Now, come on. You've heard that preached from pulpits on TVs before. Hey, if you just give, God's going to bless your socks off. We'll have enough money in this ministry to do all kinds of things. Just give, and God, you know what? If you give $10, God's going to give you 15 Now, you know what? He says, the hard issue is you give because you love God, and He's going to take care of you. And what that looks like, that's between you and God. He's going to supply all your need. And at the end of the day, isn't that really what we need? Just for God to go, I'm here, I got you. Tell me what we really need, Calvary. What do we need? Food, clothing, shelter, praise God. Praise God. So Paul finishes up with his final benediction of this letter, and this is where we're going to close. Look at verse 20. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. He says, man, you know what? You know who gets praise? God the Father. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for blessing us. But God gets the glory. God gets the glory. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. What happens when you guys drop your checks in the agape boxes or when you give to charities? Whatever it might be. You know what? Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. My prayer is that when we pass... We don't try to control our money from the grave. We just say, praise God. The Bible says where your heart is, that's where your treasure is as well. So what do we do with our money? This is not a money, this is not a money message. But Paul reminds us that as, a, as we support the ministry, as we support the ministry, we leave it there and we say to God be the glory. Praise God. Praise God. And then he says in verse 21, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are, with, who are with me, they greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those of, that are, Caesar's, are of Caesar's household. And then in verse 23, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And I think if Paul was in Texas, he'd be with, he, said, he might say, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with y'all. That's what he says, y'all. Amen. Amen.
What's the secret of contentment, guys? It's not a secret. Know that God's going to provide for you. He's got the power to provide for you. Rest assured, be blessed in all things. Thank him today for what you have. Don't look at what you don't have. Don't look at what your neighbor has. It's easy to come in and go, oh, look, I can't believe that. Thank him. There's a few of us that like to go golfing from time to time. And some of us have $30 golf clubs and some of us have $100 golf clubs. That doesn't matter. You know what the blessing is? That you're out there and you're having a great time and you're just enjoying the fellowship. And if you're like Joe Mabry and the ball goes in the water, that's okay. That's okay. Because mine will follow shortly right after him. But you know what we do when that happens? We just look at each other and we laugh. Because it's not about the golf balls and it's not about the clubs. It's about each other. And you can apply that to anything. As we prepare for communion, church, would you do me a favor? Would you take a moment to get your hearts ready to receive? And as the elements are going to be passed out, I want to talk briefly about the Lord's Supper. So here's what I want you to do. Before we partake, we're going to partake as a family together. So when you get them, you hold on to them. But the Bible says not to partake in an unworthy manner. And that that means a couple of things. Number one, make sure you don't have bitterness in your heart. Make sure that you don't have anger in your heart. Confess those to the Lord. Make sure that if you and your wife got in a fight on the way to church, make sure you, you, you hey, baby, see, I'm, baby, I'm sorry. I was, please forgive me. Just get clean before God. I don't want to take, I don't want to take this and have this bitterness. In my, you go, Ben, but, but listen, I still have this thing at work. I still have, you know, I, I was really wrong. Then do me a favor, don't take it. It's okay. You're still going to heaven. It's just, this is between you and God. But another, and this is key, this is very important. Listen to me. An unworthy manner is that you're not saved. That you've never, you've never responded to the gospel. You've heard it a bunch of times, and you know to do right, you come to church. But if you're honest, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. And as a matter of fact, through the words, through the teaching, you're thinking about the, the, the secret of contentment and you're looking at your life going, I really don't have, I, you talk about contentment, I don't even have peace in my life. Are you kidding me? But you were saying some things and it made me realize I'm not saved. And now we're moving into communion. I don't know what to do, Ben. Here's the good news. You ready? If you're here today and you've never responded to the gospel, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. You've never had your sins forgiven by faith, and you, you've never walked an aisle, you've never raised your hand. I've got good news for you. Today you can do that. Because I want to tell you, with, all the, with, with, with wholeheartedly, um, God's not mad at you. He's madly in love with you, and he's got a plan for your life. And he brought you here, and it's no mistake. But you have to be willing to open up your heart and invite him inside.
Well, how do I do that? In a minute, I'm going to give you an opportunity before we pass these out and give you an opportunity to say yes to him. Are you going to embarrass me, Pastor? No. No, this is just between you and the Lord. And you're saying yes to him. Well, do I have to come forward? Do I have to join your church? No, no. As a matter of fact, we don't have membership at Calvary. We believe that once you're born again, you're a member of God's family. So all you have to do is say yes to him. That's the most important thing. But what's happening right now is that you've got this inner civil war going on right now. Oh, what are people going to think? Oh, I can't believe this. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And God's knocking on your heart. He's saying, hey, hey, time is short. I want to come in. I want to save you. I want to save you. Let me say this. Let me say this. The Bible says, before he comes to get us, that the last Gentile has to get saved. And if you're here and you're not saved, you're holding us back. If you're the last Gentile, we want to go home. So, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Not really, but yes. So let's do this. Let's do this. I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward. They're going to pray. And they're going to pass out the elements. But let me give you an opportunity real quick. While they're praying, if you're here today, and you said, Pastor Ben, pray for me. I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. Would you do me a favor? Would you just raise your hand? God bless you, bro. Anyone else? Anyone else saying yes to Jesus? You just lift up your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. Don't worry about what they're doing up here. Just want to make sure that you're right with God. God bless you, brother. I see you in the wheelchair. Amen. Anyone else? If you raised your hand and you sincerely mean this, this is what God's doing in your life. By faith, you're going to confess your belief in him. You say, Lord, I believe, and I need your help. And so if you raised your hand and you'll pray this prayer, would you just pray this prayer after me? Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. I know I'm a sinner, and I, 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 I just know. And your word says that I need to repent of unbelief and believe, and so I'm going to believe in you. And what I believe is important, Lord. I believe that you are the Son of God who died for my sins. I believe that you died on the cross you were buried, and you resurrected the third day, and you're sitting at heaven right now. And you sent your Holy Spirit, but I need your help, Lord. I can't do this life alone. You never intended me to. So for me to walk forward in newness of life, I need you. And that's where I'll ask, please come into my heart, God. All of this is yours. Come in. Be my Lord. Be my God. Be my Savior. Be my friend. I need a friend. But here's my confession to you, Lord. I choose this day to follow you, Jesus, for forever I'm yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer, you can take communion because you now belong to the family of God, not because, because of I said it, but because by faith in the word of God, Jesus has forgiven you of your sins. He's cleansed you. He's come into your heart. And the angels are rejoicing. So hold on to the elements, guys. Hold on to the elements. As a body, this is very serious as well as a celebration. First and foremost, the Bible tells us that we don't take, uh, unta- uh, partake in an uh, unworthy manner. We talked about that. 
And so make sure that our hearts are right. Lord, forgive us. Make sure there's not a root of bitterness growing. Lord, forgive us. It's very serious. We confess our sin to you, Lord. Lord, the things that I've allowed in my eye gate, my ear gate, and the things that I've entertained in my life, please forgive me. They were not pleasing to you. I've sinned. Thank you, Jesus, for the finished work of the cross. It's also a celebration. And when we take communion, here's what we're doing. We're declaring the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And that's what saves us. And so we have to celebrate the gospel. We have to celebrate the gospel. How do we do that? You ready? As you're, as you're getting the elements, remember this. Look deep within our hearts and confess any sin you have to him. Look deep. Sorry, Lord. When you've done that and you've looked deep within your heart and you've confessed all the things to him and, and you feel the smile on your face again, do me a favor, look back. Look back at your life and thank the Lord for all he's done in your lives. Thank you for the blessings, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Help us to be content with what we have. Help us to be content in our building and in our lives and our houses, with our cars, with all that you've given us. Help us be content. And then, as you have the elements in your hand, I want you to look forward. Look forward, yeah. Look forward to all that God is going to do and that one day you're going to have communion in heaven. Look forward to that. What a glorious day that will be. Lord, we thank you for today. We bless you. Father, we're about to partake in communion. Father, we're not home yet because you said the next time you do this, you'll do it with us in heaven, so we're not in heaven. We're still on earth, and we do it by faith. We're taking communion to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of you. We thank you that we can place our faith in trust. I thank you for the two men that surrendered their lives today, that you would do a work in their lives, that, Lord, you are the great healer, the great physician, the great deliverer. You are the one who's going to walk, that their lives would be changed immediately. Thank you, Jesus. What a glorious day. We're almost there, guys. Keep them in your hands. Keep them in your hands. Father, We've looked in our hearts and we've confessed our sins to you. Two young men prayed the sinner's prayer, repented, and they belong to you. In that we rejoice. Father, we've looked back and we've said, thank you. Thank you, God, for all the blessings you've given us. We have an attitude of gratitude. We love you, Lord. And Lord, 
as we lift up the communion to you, we look forward to that day we get to do it with you in heaven. And Lord, we love you. We love you, Lord, so much. Lord, do a work. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's take the bread together. I remember the scripture when Jesus was telling him in John 6, I am the bread of life. Thank you, Lord. When supper was ended, he took the cup and again he gave thanks. And he said, take this, all of you, and drink from it. This is the cup of the new covenant of everlasting life. The blood that was shed at Calvary for you. Forgive us, Lord. Cleanse us in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take the cup. Love you guys. Love you guys. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and give you peace and hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship. We hope you enjoyed today's message. We'd love to hear from you and see you in person at the church. You can find our contact information, location, and even give a donation at calvarychapellubbock.church. We'll see you next time on the podcast. Until then, may God bless you and your family.